Tonight we have uh, Pastor Dan Hooker, uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, his office is two doors down from mine uh, in, at church, and uh, we do a lot of ministry together. Uh, just went to Detroit with him. We were looking and, and just thinking and, and praying, God, what do you want to do in Detroit uh, together? It was awesome to spend time with him. Uh, you're going to be blessed tonight by, by what he has to share. Dan, come on and give us a word. Well, Sean took five minutes of my introduction. <laughs> they said I couldn't go an hour and 20 minutes either. Some of you will get that later. Has anybody got duct tape? We can just do it right here. So if I throw the mic, I'm sorry. Hey, Matt, there's the door. You, st- you still haven't graduated school discipleship. Just to remind you. But it's funny how you can prepare for messages and, and, you know, you have all this stuff that's ready. And then, uh, you know, the Lord's like, nope, you're not going to do that. I don't have Kleenex. I got a reusable one. We are all wrapped up in our identity, aren't we? Typically, when you greet somebody, what's the first question you ask another guy? What do you do? So we're sitting at breakfast this morning, or at lunch, I mean, and, you know, all of us are from Rocky Mountain Calvary, except for one guy, and he actually went to Rocky Mountain Calvary one time. And so one of the gentlemen sitting at the table, luckily I have a bad memory, don't remember your name, I'll just remember your face, is like, I don't know any of y'all, except that guy, because of your beard, you know? So as I'm getting ready to come up here and, and had, you know, news articles and all this type of stuff, and it's like, no, you need to tell the story. So I grew up in church, but I had an alcoholic father. And so even though I was growing up in church, is that the mistaken identity that I assumed was the drunkard's son. I was 10 years old. When I found pornography in an abandoned house, still remember the the front cover, still remember the name of the magazine. 11 years old, fishing with a a friend's uncle before almost got accosted by a homosexual. And all that stuff just starts stacking up. Had all the right Christian terms and told everybody I was a Christian. And had this mistaken identity of who I thought that I was. Until God decided to put that car going 55 miles an hour while I'm on my 10-speed bicycle on a bridge. Guess who won? Not me. And waking up and, and my mouth is wired closed, my, my wired clo- closed, and, and my leg is uh, it's in something and figuring out what happened to me and getting all that stuff off after six weeks. And first time I'm back in church, same church I'd been in for eight years. And first time the gospel is shared, I'm wearing this horrendous green three-piece suit 
with one of my dad's 1970 ties and broke. That was it. Knew that if I had died right then, where I was going. It's pretty humbling when you're baptized in like May and then you have to be baptized again in August, but it's worth it. And then started following the Lord and, and still struggling. And I remember writing way back then, I think of Stephen Covey, the eight habits of an effective leader that my youth leader had shared. All of those things and, and entering preaching contests at Liberty and Bob Jones University, and I did not win at all. Going to Bible college for a year, getting married. Independent, fundamental, Baptist Bible college. When the army, three months later, both of us, one month later, she says, bye, I'm pursuing a homosexual lifestyle. Talked with a pastor, you're disqualified because of what she did. So I had a loss of identity. And for about 14 years in the army, I, I became... Uh, you could, I did everything except drugs, everything. And I was, I was pretty mean, uh, pretty hard. Back in 2004, I'm in Iraq, and I decided to read the Bible for what it says instead of what people have told me. So, I, you know, I apologize now. You have to understand some of my sarcasm is meant as jokes. So whoever the talking head is up here, don't give them too much power. And you being in Calvary Chapel know you're always supposed to do what? Check it with the word. Well, 14 years, I didn't do that. And so the last place my wife drug me to church was Village 7 Prez in, in Colorado Springs. And a lot of you guys know where it's at. I pick up a Westminster Confession and, and I had a Bible from the chaplain and I'm going through that. And I hit that part on marriage. And there's one word I remember. If your unbelieving spouse departs, you're free. And I had those chains for 14 years. Because I'd lost my identity. Because I was going to go be a missionary in Bhutan. So it wasn't getting blown up or shot at or anything like that. It was the simple effectiveness of the word. And regaining that identity. But not that everything is great now. Because for a lot of us is that we suffer from identity theft when it comes to our identity in Christ. And so that constant barrage of darts of the enemy, oh, you used to be like this, oh, you used to do those things. Oh, you're still disqualified of constantly trying to rip away from you, rip away from me that identity in Christ. Because we are so wrapped up around the things that we can do. The accolades that we put, the things that we hang on our walls, don't come in my office, okay? But <laughs> all of those things, what we know, who we know, all of these things. And even we can get wrapped up around what we think is sound doctrine and scripture is that we'll remember those nouns and those labels that scripture gives to us. 
soldiers, conquerors, fathers, kingdom of priests. But what we fail to grasp is what the foundation of that is. So some of you, even as I'm giving my, my testimony, is that you're, you're recalling things that have happened to you. Whether it was mistaken identity, whether it was you had your credit card stolen and it was identity theft, whether you watched those videos on YouTube, Stolen Valor. Anybody see those? That gets my goat. I spent 20 years, you know, jumping out of airplanes, miserable conditions, you know, went to 10 different countries and it wasn't for vacation half the time. But yet somebody wants to pretend they're a soldier or a veteran so that they get money. I still pray for them. Or whether you're suffering from a loss of identity and you are excited about what the Lord's doing in your heart right now and you have some basic tools of when you go down from the mountain. But I want to show you tonight what you have to hold on to. Because if you don't, you're going to fall into one of those three things. You're going to think you're something that you're not. Or you're going to be convinced that you're something that you're not. You're going to be suffer from spiritual amnesia. Or you're getting ripped off about who you are in Christ. So let's pray and then turn to Ephesians 1. Father, we just give this time to you and realize that it's nothing in and of ourselves when it comes to eternity, but everything to do with your son. So if there's any hindrances or barriers or barricades, even within our hearts and minds, may you remove those things. Holy Spirit, may you drill down in our hearts the truth of the word that you've given us. May you protect all of our minds from condemnation and guilt and accusation and lies. May the truth of your word be what is burned upon our minds as we go through it. Because of what Christ has done in his name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1. God shares with us some important things. But if you read the whole book of Ephesians, is you're going to see these words of identity that's between two different people. And I'm going to read them. It's, it's, some of them will be familiar. But it says, sons of disobedience, children of wrath. Later it says his workmanship. It goes on to classify and identify as Gentiles in the flesh, aliens from the commonwealth, strangers from the covenants of promise, strangers and foreigners. But then, an awesome passage has a big list. It says, fellow citizens, whole building, holy temple, dwelling place of God in the spirit, fellow heirs, partakers of his promise, imitators of God. And then it bounces back to the darkness and says, fornicators, unclean person, covetous man. But then it ends with children of light and members of his body. So Ephesians has these, these words of identification. And if we're concerned with always having to wear a label, is that we'll miss 
the foundation of what even we are able to grasp onto those things. Fellow heirs, where does that come from? Why? One of the things I do in the school discipleship, it's not, I don't want them to become uh, ventriloquist dummies and just repeating everything. They have to know why they believe what they believe. So when Ephesians 1, the first 14 verses will cover, it shares with us some key things. And remember, they were talking about our identity in Christ. And so in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So right off the bat, Paul, writing this letter, identifies himself as an apostle, a sent out one, a church planter, missionary. But he's not the one that made it up, is he? He says, by the will of God. And then he goes on to exhort the uh, church at Ephesus, the believers that are there, saying, you're the holy chosen ones, and, and I'm thankful for your faithfulness in Christ. And it gives his greeting, grace and peace. You know, part of my loss of identity was the tattoos that I had. And I just got them covered up about a year and a half ago with other things because I got these tattoos in deliberate rebellion against God. And that's a hard reminder to carry all the time. And so on the, on the top that runs over this dagger where I swore nobody would cut my heart again, so I became hard-hearted, as I have just said, Hebrew for mercy. Behind this, around this demonic tattoo with barbed wire, I have autoscaris. His grace. And I always have to remember that. Because the ink from the past likes to seep through every single day. So grace and peace, and by the will of God, he's an apostle. And then he starts into the next few verses with the word blessed. And he gives a blessing to God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Now, this word blessed is not like Matthew chapter 5. It's not macaroy. It's not divine happiness bestowed upon us. This is eulogitos, eulogy. You'll remember that. Typically, where do you hear eulogy? A funeral. But this is not a funeral. So when you see the word blessed, be the God and Father, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, all the same root word. And it's the aspect of praise. So a eulogy is what? It's giving, typically giving uh, credence and praise to the person that's passed away. Whereas Paul is articulating a praise to God the Father. Because what has he done? It says that he has blessed us. He has given us praises. He has given us gifts with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So Paul is giving this praise to God because what he has given to us in Christ. 
And there's three aspects of identification in this, and this is just the beginning. Just the beginning. First is that we're chosen. Now, I'm not going to skin the cat of election tonight, and don't corner me after service either. Okay? But you need to understand what it, what it is. And, and if you look at what the word says, it says it has things after that. Chosen to be holy and blameless. A little bit more distinct. Chosen to be set apart and cleansed with integrity. RMC dudes that went to the conference, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? Blameless, integrity. No accusation can be put against you. Cleansed, made holy, set apart for the purposes of God. That's what it's for, and it's in Christ. So it's not in and of ourselves that I have to do all these things. It's because of what he has done. And then it goes on to say, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by our good looks, (laughs) by our stellar facial hair, by where we were born, by what country we were born in. It doesn't, does it? It's by Christ. We are sons. I, that just, you know, it feels like somebody's taking a 15-pound sledgehammer on top of my head so that I drop to my knees. For those of you that might have had dysfunctional fathers that were never present, and if they were, they weren't cognizant of anything, it's heavy. For those of you that didn't have fathers, it's really heavy, isn't it? One of my favorite songs that we sing in our church is Good, Good Father, because I don't remember that. What I remember about my father was, did he show me a little, a few things? Yeah, but I remember him showing up drunk at my basketball game and when I was in a Christian school as a senior in high school. I remember him showing up when I played intramurals in college drunk. I remember the drunken rage with the two-inch leather belt. And then when you're changing for gym in high school, you have to explain it to your friends. Blow it off. That's what I remember. So we're sons, and I really challenge you in in your identification as sons is what are you superimposing upon the father? Because it's easy to think of him as judge, isn't it? It's easy to think of him as as hitting his, his mallet and passing condemnation onto you, isn't it? But that's not who he is. So as sons, we have a loving father. Then he goes to say that we're accepted. We're accepted in the beloved, in Christ Jesus. All of us. You ever experienced rejection? Anybody? Nah. Nobody? Who did not get picked for like the kickball game in grade school? Okay. That explains a lot, Matt. You know, some of us have had rejection of relationships, haven't we? Some of us have experienced rejection in, oh, 
I know I got this job. I know we've, we've went with someone else. We've had rejection all over the place, haven't we? But typically when we have that rejection, it's what? It's based on us. It's based on our inadequacy, a lack of character, a lack of skill, a lack of ability. Aren't you glad that our acceptance is not based upon us? Because it says it's based on who? We're accepted in the beloved, the one who loves. Now, like I told you, Paul is just getting warmed up. This is all encountered in this, this eulogy, this, this words of praise and blessing to God of who he is, what he has done through Christ, what Christ has done. And then he's going to dig down deeper in these next few verses to really hit home of who we are in Christ. And if we don't remember these things, as you're going to get weary in battle a lot. If you come from a, a background of having to constantly remain qualified, you're going to get tired. I was praying for a guy at, at, when we had that breakup prayer thing, and because I know him, don't worry, I won't embarrass you. As I prayed, and you other guys that were with me, silence, okay, no busting out prayer group, all right? As I prayed, Lord, do not let him create this laundry list that he has to do. Because we like to do that. If you're OCD, you raise your hand. You gotta have your list, don't you? you don't you? And if you start to create that, where's your credibility at? It's your mind in your mouth, it's on your knees when you say, oh, I, I need to pray an hour a day. All of these things. So look what he says in verse 7. So there's three phrases in these. It says, in him. And we're talking about our identity in him. It says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Paul, by inspiration of the Spirit, is talking about salvation. That salvation is, is, even though it's a mystery, it's been revealed, and the whole point is that Christ reconciles us. That he reconciles us. This aspect of identity has went all the way back to Genesis 12 with Abraham, of being chosen, of telling, being told to go to another land, that he's going to be uh, the father of many nations. This aspect of identity is important to God. And so as we look at this, it's easy. Okay, I get this. Forgiveness of sins, you know, God's riches of his grace because we know we don't deserve it. And he, and he made it abound towards us so that we understood it and we applied it. Having faith in Christ and what he's done. And it's his good pleasure that he even offers us to understand his desire for the hearts and minds of mankind. 
But there's a word here that is easy to miss. It's easy for us to skip over. And like I say, it's one of those $5 words. Redemption. Three syllables. Oh yeah, I know what that means. But if we don't take the historical context of things, it's easy to miss. So I, I'm going to give you a very practical, physical illustration. And Andy has been subjected to volunteer. I mean, gladly volunteers for this. If you start to pass out, let me know. This word of redemption, you have to have this picture. Some of you have watched the movie Gladiator or you've watched other movies during Roman times. And you know what? They had what? Slaves. You were a slave because of debt or you were a slave because you got conquered. Okay? Or pure extortion that they would steal you. And they would take you and they would sell you on the auction block just like this. Okay? I doubt if it was pine, but... It could have been something else. It was an auction block that they put you upon. And this word redemption directly relates to this. Now, you need to superimpose yourself up here right now. And instead of thinking of, you know, nice repelling ropes, think of crude chains, frayed fibrous rope cutting into your wrists, into your ankles. That's you. That's me. It's all of us, but Jesus. Now, this word redemption has three aspects of it. It's that while we're up here, it does mean to be purchased, and it's purchased by the blood of Christ. So we are bought by the blood of Christ. It's definitely not because it was good looks. It's by the blood of Christ, but... But when this, when this freedom comes, there's some things that we need to remember. Is that we're free from sin. Thanks, Andy. We're free from sin. And you're just, I know I can hear you. I don't have ESP, but it's like, well, how come I still do it? For some strange reason, we like to come back here. And we like to do this. Well, I'm free, but, but you know, I struggle with this. And we like to put it back on, don't we? And part of that mistaken identity is that we believe that we're not free. Romans 6.18, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. No longer sons of disobedience, no longer children of wrath, no, no longer Gentiles of the flesh. Well, we already talked about being sons, but it talks about us being slaves of righteousness. That now... It has changed. Another aspect of this idea of redemption 
Not only being free from sin, but it also means you can no longer be put back into slavery. It can't happen. It's happened one time when you placed your faith in Christ. And so anything that we pick up and put upon ourselves is willingly pursuing subjugation to those things. It's not because we're enslaved to them. It's because we desire them. It's because we like them. And then the last aspect is the change of identity from slaves to sons. So when you're thinking of the word redemption, when you go through scripture, I'm bought with the blood of Christ. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm identified from being a slave to being a free person, and I'm also legally changed to being a son. All of those things are tied up into the depth of redemption of what Christ has done for us. Now I'm thinking of that. It says, in him we are redeemed. In him has redemption. Your identity is you're the redeemed. You're not the enslaved, you're the redeemed. And if we don't grab hold of that, you're gonna suffer those things. You're gonna still think that you're, in, you're a slave. You're gonna not have a clue who you are in Christ because your eyes are fixated on the, the temporal change that you're putting upon yourself instead of the eternal relationship that you have with him. And Satan's gonna steal your identity. You'll never get rid of it. You'll never be free. All those whispers of condemnation. But Paul doesn't stop there. Look at the next in him. In verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. You're like, Dan, how does that have anything to do with identification? If you've obtained an inheritance, who are you? You're an heir. It says that we are heirs. It says that we're joint heirs with Christ. And that's tied to the fact that we're sons. Does the slave get the inheritance? No, and if it's through the entirety of scripture, if you go back, Abraham's like, 100 years old, and, and Sarah's 90, and, and right before the angels come, he's like, Lord, hey, kids are not happening. They're not. And I have Eliezer. And who is Eliezer? His servant. He says, I'll just make him the heir. And God said, no, it's not happening that way. Okay. What am I going to do, Sarah? I don't know what I'm going to do. We don't know. We're supposed to have an heir. God said, Eliezer can't do it. I don't really want you to, Abraham, but why don't you go see Hagar? Because that was what happened back then. Tried to create the heir himself. No miracle, all natural, no supernatural. Not God's plan.
reason why I bring it up is because does our inheritance have anything to do with us? It don't. It doesn't. It has everything to do with Christ. Everything to do with him. In Hebrews chapter 11, 8 through 10, and also verses 13 through 15, it talks about what this inheritance is. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Do you understand what that just said? It just said the physical land of promise that God told him to go and see while he was still alive physically was not the final inheritance. The blessings that you encounter in your life today pale in comparison with what we will receive when we're with him. Now, I don't want you to start thinking, bro, I'm having a ruby crown. Watch out. Don't start thinking materialistically because you'll miss it. And then it goes on to say in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. John 14, Jesus says, this is Dan's paraphrase, just so you don't get offended. Yo, I got to go. He says, where I'm going, you can't come. And you're like, what's going on? Where are you going? And what does it say? He says, the place I go, I go to prepare what? A place for you. This idea of being heirs, of being sons, is finally experienced when we're with him, of being with God. That's our inheritance. We don't, we don't look at the things around us to identify ourselves as heirs. We don't look at the things around us, our jobs, to identify us as sons of God. In fact, from Hebrews, it says we're supposed to say we're strangers and pilgrims of this earth. If we go to Philippians chapter 3, the end of it will talk about citizenship in heaven. If you go to Jesus when, he's, when they're arguing about, hey, should we, uh, you got to pay the temple tax. And he says, well, who's supposed to pay the taxes, the sons or the slaves? And they say the slaves. He says, yep, but go ahead and pay that anyways. What is he saying? He was saying that those, that him and those that have faith in God are sons. They're not slaves. This idea of sonship is through the entire thing. The heir of being heirs is through the entire scripture. And that's our identity. Heirs what? They inherit. They don't earn. They don't build. They inherit what the father has done, right? Is we inherit because of what Christ has done. The last one, 
verse 13. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also, having believed, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. It's easy to miss this one because all of these descriptive phrases are there. But basically, in him you were sealed. So not only are we the redeemed, not only are we heirs, but we're part of the sealed. He says the Ephesian church, you heard the gospel, you believed it, you put your faith in it, and you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. This idea that comes, and many of you have heard it, is a stamp placed upon you. Not some piece of melted wax with a logo like they did, but that's the aspect they're talking about. And what what that piece of cargo that was sealed so that it wasn't tampered with is, first of all, it showed that it belonged to somebody. And being the sealed, we're owned by God. Not ourselves. We're owned by God. The second part of this seal is the promise of what is anticipated. For those of you that have purchased a house, you had to put down what? Earnest money. And it's hard to get out of the earnest money unless a portion of that contract has been violated. This is given by God. He says, here's the earnest. Here's the Holy Spirit to show you proof that there's fulfillment yet to come and it's not going to be broken. The God's plan of redemption and salvation is final. It doesn't waver. It doesn't change. Here's the Holy Spirit until it's completed. These two aspects of us being sealed in Christ, the Holy Spirit sealing us because of our faith in Christ, he's the deposit, foreshadowing the total inheritance that is to come. In Romans 8.23, it covers all three of these aspects. It says, Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, eagerly waiting the adoption, the redemption of our body. He talks about the first fruits of the Spirit, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. He talks about groaning for the adoption of when we realize we're sons in the presence of God, even being sons now. And last is that redemption and finality when we're with God. Guys, when it comes to our identity in Christ, to truly grasp these things, is we'll begin to understand why grace is so important. Because it's the riches of his grace why all of these things come about. It's nothing to do with us. Because you're going to have a lot of blood, sweat, and tears if your identity is wrapped up in what you do. Now, don't misunderstand me because the fruits of the Spirit are what? Same thing, you guys, love, joy, peace, all those things. The reality of the Spirit working within us also inspires our hands and minds and mouth. 
But if we're quenching and grieving, it's all in your own strength. When it comes to misidentity, the lies of condemnation are easy to believe, aren't they? They accuse you of being something that you're not in Christ. They accuse you of not being worthy. They accuse you of of faking the funk, looking like a Christian, smelling like a Christian, talking like a Christian, but it's not real. Being a hypocrite. They accuse you of so many things that tries to distort your identity in Christ. And then some of us got whacked on the head thinking that good works is what earns all these things. And we've lost our identity. And we're trying to create it ourselves. Then last is that Satan loves to steal our identity, doesn't he? In fact, it's all a facade. He hasn't stolen our identity. He's just convinced you that he's stolen your identity in Christ. And there's a poem that I'm gonna read that really illustrates this. And it was written by this lady in 1921 after she had heard a message It's called The Touch of the Master's Hand, and some of you might have heard it. It says, it's talking of an old violin. It says, It was battered and scarred in the auctioneer, though it's scarcely worth his while, to waste much time on the old violin, but held it up with a smile. What am I bidding, good folks? He cried. Who'll start the bidding for me? A dollar, a dollar, then two, only two. Two dollars, and who'll make it three? Three dollars once, three dollars twice, going for three, but no. From the room far back, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin and tightening the loosened strings, he played a melody pure and sweet as a caroling angel sings. The music ceased in the auctioneer with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with the bow. A thousand dollars, and who will make it two? Two thousand, and who will make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice, and going and gone, said he. The people cheered, but some of them cried. We do not quite understand. What change is worth? Swift came the reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man with life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to the thoughtless crowd, much like the old violin. A mess of pottage, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once and going twice. He's going and almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd never can quite understand the worth of a soul, and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. As you have to apply the word that we've went through this whole weekend, 
And the one question is, who, I, who am I in Christ? And to really see if you have a case of mistaken identity of suffering under those lies. If you've lost your identity in Christ because you're pursuing something else. Or if you've let him steal, what is the truth? Just imagine. Some of you have already created, I need to do this when I get home, I need to do this when I get home, I need to do this when I get home, with this with my wife, this with my kids, this at work, and you're totally relying on this. What you do, your identity is founded in what he has done. And you have to start from right there. Right there. 